we're going to talk about something really important today. Uh, up for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the gospel significance of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We're going to talk about death today. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about our death with Christ. And I pray that you have ears to hear. That you would not just hear the noise coming out of my mouth and the words that I'm speaking to you, but I pray that you would have ears to hear the word of the Lord, the gospel of Christ. Amen. Jesus came to die. Specifically, he came to die on a cross. Jesus came to die so that we too could die. Specifically, die on a cross. That, Christian, is good news. The gospel literally means good news. And Jesus' death is good news. Your death with Christ in the cross is good news. You've heard the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that is the truth. We all want to go to heaven. None of us want to die. Over my years as a Christian, I've known a whole lot of people. Some of them are still here. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. Who were holding out hope that a rapture would happen so that they would not have to experience death. I got news for you. The Bible said it is appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. None of us. Rapture or no, none of us will escape death. None of us will. Unless you die with Christ, you have no hope of life. You need to understand that. We Christians are famous for telling people that Jesus came to save them. But I believe we often tell people that from a very shallow understanding of what our salvation truly means. If we do not understand what Jesus came to save us from, if we do not understand what Jesus came to save us to, and if we do not understand why and how He will accomplish that salvation, we run the risk of at best trivializing the gospel, or worse, missing it altogether. And I'm afraid the church in America has missed the gospel altogether too much. And part of that is because we don't like to talk about the hard things. The cross is a hard thing. We don't like to talk about blood because it's gross. We don't like to talk about death because it's uncomfortable. Listen, the cross of Christ, when Jesus hung on a cross, there was blood and there was death. And there was blood and death to a degree that we cannot even imagine or comprehend in our humanness. We can't. There's no one brave enough 
or even able to make a movie that would even come close to what Jesus really experienced on the cross. As good as the passion might have been. It does not even come close. The movie would have to be rated X. It would have to be rated NC-17 to accurately portray what really happened to Jesus. Americans are known worldwide to be optimistic. It was funny, Victoria posted some things, travel tips. If you're traveling from one country to America, here are some things you need to know. And what was interesting was, two of the countries, one of the things that they told their people, when you travel to America, you will see that Americans are so optimistic, it's almost annoying. I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to be optimistic. So Americans have this worldwide um, reputation of being optimistic almost to a fault. And though that is a good thing to be optimistic, it's not good to be optimistic to the point that we deny reality. I don't want to get up here and tell you that Conway Humphrey may be making his transition from earth to heaven. I don't want to tell you that. I don't want to have to tell you that. I don't even want to think about that. And some would say, don't say that because that's a negative confession. No, it's not a negative confession. It's just the reality of where we are right now. My negative confession is not going to decide whether he lives or dies. Me speaking the truth or reality is not going to determine whether someone lives or dies. Church, God determines whether people live or die. God brought you into this world not because you asked to be brought here, but because He chose to bring you here. And God will take you from this life to eternal life in heaven in the presence of God, not because you asked to go, but because He decides when you're going to go. Death is a word we do not like. We do not like to talk about it, think about it. We do our best to avoid the subject. Yet Jesus came to deal with death, and he did not avoid it. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. For time's sake... I could read all 23 verses for you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to begin by reading the first three verses of Romans chapter 6. And we're going to kind of work our way through the rest of the chapter in the time that we have left. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read, I'm actually going to read the first four verses to you, okay? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. I want to focus on verse 3. 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now today we're going to talk about our death with Christ. Next week we're going to talk about our burial with Christ. And then on Easter Sunday morning we're going to talk about our resurrection with Christ. But today the subject is our death with Christ. Notice that Verse 3 says, we were baptized into his death. Remember, that word baptized means to place into, to overwhelm with. So last week when we baptized Juliana, we, we said we were doing this outward act, this outward symbolic act, of an inward reality that the Spirit of God does. It's the Spirit of God that places us into Christ. Specifically, Paul writes here that that when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into His death, or we were placed into His death. Jesus came and died on the cross so that we too could be placed into His death. Or we could say it like this, Jesus came to die so that we too could die. And you need to understand this morning how necessary your death. I'm not talking about your physical death. Jesus was very clear. Jesus says, do not fear physical death. He said, don't fear those who have power over your body to take your physical life. Fear him who has power over your soul, whether to cast it into hell or not. So when we're talking about death this morning, we're not talking about physical death because physical death is nothing but a transition for the believer. Death is called an enemy of God. But for the believer, death is simply a servant that comes and takes you to Jesus. That's all death can do to the believer. Death has no power over a child of God. So what death are we talking about this morning? It's not physical death that I'm talking about this morning. Conway Humphrey may physically die. He will. Whether it's sooner or whether it's later, we're all going to physically die one way or another. When Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, those of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, he's not talking about a physical death here. He's talking about another kind of death. That's what we're going to talk about today. If we are not crucified with Christ, if we have not been placed into His death, we cannot and we will not be raised with Him in life. We all want to go to heaven, but none of us want to die. And the church has watered down the gospel so much in our culture that that death has no concept, people have no concept of death except physical death because we don't want to talk about the cross. We don't want to talk about dying to self. We don't want to talk about the crucified life because it's just, quite frankly, unpopular. The problem is when we refuse to talk about those things and teach those truths that are here in the Scripture, 
we're not teaching people the truth. We're not teaching them the gospel. We mistakenly, whether we do it on purpose or not, make people believe that they really can make it to heaven and they don't have to die. And that's not the reality at all. So how are we placed into his death? It says when we're baptized or placed into his death, how does that happen? That happens by the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul communicates this in a little different way, but he's saying the exact same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul writes, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. How did you get baptized into the body of Christ? And I'm not talking about your formal church membership in a local body. I'm talking about how did you get baptized? How did you get placed into the life of Jesus Christ? You didn't, you didn't get there by signing a church membership form or taking a church membership class. You didn't get there because you were water baptized one day. You got there because the Spirit of the living God, in His sovereign grace, took you from death and placed you into the life of the Son of God. How was Jesus resurrected by the Spirit of God? What is a resurrection, by the way? What necessitates a resurrection? A death necessitates. There is necessarily a death in order for there to be a resurrection. Jesus didn't rise from the life. He rose from the dead. He was crucified and died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. That's one of the, that, that is one of the oldest creeds of the church. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus was crucified and died, was buried, and on the third day rose again, it's hard for you to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe that. That is the crux of the Christian faith. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Do you notice the order? He died, he was buried, and he rose again. There must be a death in order for there to be a resurrection. It is the Spirit of God that in reality places us or baptizes us into his death. And baptized into his death, we must be in order to be saved. How, what does it mean to be saved? For most people, if you say, what does it mean to be saved? You're going to get an answer something like this. Well, it means I'm not going to go to hell. Because for a lot of people, salvation is just the choice of whether I'm going to go to hell or not go to hell. Listen, if you give... I think... I think God created people with intelligence. I believe in intelligence, okay? I know that a lot of times we humans don't demonstrate a lot of intelligence. Just drive around Austin for a while. You'll see that, right? But, but 
if you go to just about anybody, and if they are, I'm just going to say anybody, and if they're honest, some people just like to be, you know, rebellious, but if someone was honest and you said, would you rather go to hell or go to heaven? Would you rather go to the fiery pit or live in an eternal paradise forever? That's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, who wants to go to the fiery pit forever? Let's go to paradise forever. And so, if you look at all the religions of the world, guess what? Guess where everyone's trying to get to? And everyone believes that they're going to get to. Not the fiery pit. They're, they're, they're going to an eternal paradise. Even the Satanist. They're going to get to party like it's 1999 forever, right? And do whatever they want with no rules and no regulations. So the reality is everybody's trying to get to this place we call paradise. It may look different, we may define it differently, but that's really where everybody wants to get to, right? Even the atheist would say, well, I believe that when you die, that's just it. But hey, you know, maybe it would be nice. Even Carl Sagan says we go back and we, we're basically reincarnated back into the, we're assimilated back into the cosmos, and so our consciousness is always, I mean, everybody, Right? So if you just ask someone, would you rather go to heaven or hell, it's a no-brainer. Sure, everybody wants to go to heaven. The gospel is not just that everybody gets to go to heaven. That's called universalism, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that in order for us to have everlasting life with Jesus, there's a death we have to die first. And we can't escape it. Just like Jesus couldn't escape it. He had to die that death on the cross. And the reason Jesus died that death on the cross was not just so cosmic justice could be satisfied. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus didn't just satisfy cosmic justice. Jesus purchased our redemption. Jesus made it very clear before he died on the cross, as he was making his journey to the cross, that if you desire to be my disciple, if you desire to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Crosses are just little pieces of jewelry we wear around our neck today. Do you know that some people in the world think it's the most ridiculous thing that we wear crosses around our necks? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it at all. But for some people, it would be the equivalent of, you might as well just wear an electric chair around your neck. What would you think about someone that just had a little gold electric chair fashioned, and they wore that around their neck? Because you realize what the cross is? The cross is an instrument of execution, just like an electric chair or a gallow. Or we could just have a little gold gallow with a little noose hanging there, and we could wear that around our neck as a symbol of what? Well, we understand what the cross symbolizes, or do we? Has it just become a fashion statement? Do we understand what that cross represents? That cross represents our death. 
When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, when he invited you to follow him by taking up your cross, he's inviting you to his death. Not, not his death, like I'm going to watch him die, but, but you're going to die with him. Well, pastor, isn't there any other way we can get to heaven besides dying? No, there's not. There's not. So here's good news. The good news is we cannot be placed into his death by the Holy Spirit and not also be raised with him in new life. This is what Romans 5 teaches us. Let's read verse 5, Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we can't be raised with Christ in his resurrection until we have been crucified with Christ in his death. We cannot possibly skip our death in the cross if we expect to live. It's it's not possible. Now, what I'm, what I'm saying to you today is not someday you're going to have to be physically nailed to a cross like Jesus was. What I'm saying to you today and what the Bible teaches us is that we have to be willing to lay down our life. Well, what does that mean? It means a lot. It means a lot more than I have time to talk to you about in 20 minutes. It means that your self-will, that your ambition, that your dreams, that your desires, that those things that are so near and dear to you, that the way it must be, you, you know my theory about humans, right? We're all control freaks. Some of us know it, and, but most of us don't. But we all. My way or the highway? No, we are not the Lord. It's not our life anymore. Paul says, I've been purchased, I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. My life is not my own anymore. Do you know how contrary, how contrarian that statement is to us Americans? Land of the free, home of the brave. And on top of that, we're Texans, right? We're the most independent of all. I mean, we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and nobody else can do that. I, I dare you to try that, actually. But Everything that we idolize... I'm not saying it's bad to be independent and it's bad to be strong. I'm not saying that. But think about all the things, so many things that we idolize in human nature are so absolutely contrary to what the gospel teaches us. What we have to do is we have to learn how to temper those things with the truth, with the reality that whether you realize it or not, you may believe that you are the picture of health and you may be the picture of health today. You may be self-sufficient, independently wealthy, 
and don't really need anyone or any help from anyone, much less our government. That might be where a lot of people are, but, but if we don't understand, regardless of your physical condition, regardless of your financial condition, regardless of your social status, and how good your self-esteem may be, if you don't understand that you are in such desperate need of God and His grace, that you, the very breath you just took, the very heartbeat that just pumped blood into your body, that came from God. And unless God is sustaining and holding all things together, your lungs aren't working, your heart's not working, the world, the earth we're standing on right now would fly apart. The very universe would fly apart. We are so desperately dependent upon God, but that just bothers us so much because we don't want to be. and We certainly don't want to believe that we are. But here's the reality, church. We are. Every one of us are. And until we are willing to die, the death Jesus died, until we are willing to lay down our lives. Now here again, I'm not saying go out and move to Pakistan and get martyred for your faith. That's, no. Can you lay down your, just your will can you resist the temptation to defend yourself when someone says something to you that you disagree with or that, that somehow you, you ever felt that? It's like something rises up in you. Can you crucify yourself to the point that you don't have to respond? You don't have to defend. That person asked you to do something that just is the very thing that you despise the most. Can you crucify yourself and lay down your life and do that thing that you despise the most, even if you believe it is beneath you? Can you? This is why, this is why money is such a big deal. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't like to talk about money in churches. Pastors notoriously don't like to talk about money because people don't, they just won't endure it. You know why people won't endure it? Because when you start talking about money and their finances, that's where it gets really personal. And the reason the Bible has so much to say about this And the reason Jesus says the things he says about it is because he understood, and he said this in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And money is just simply a way to signify to God that we're willing to let go of our life. The very thing we treasure most. Are you willing to let go of the very things you treasure most? What, 
What will any of us, when that day comes that we die of physical death, what are you going to carry with you from this earth to heaven? You're not going to carry anything with you. Job said it like this, naked I came in, naked I'm going to go out. All of those things that we value and try to hold on to of our lives, one day when we die, guess what? What can a dead man hold on to? Nothing. And this is why your death is necessary. Because when you are crucified with Christ and you become united together in His death, that, that is when we... Let go of everything. Because what is a dead man holding on to? He's not holding on to anything. So God has made our death with Christ in the cross just as crucial as our resurrection with Christ. For we cannot have one without the other. Do you hear me? You cannot have a resurrection without a crucifixion. You, you do not have a crucifixion with Christ and not have a resurrection with Christ. You realize there were three people crucified on that day Jesus was crucified. There was Jesus and two thieves. And the Bible says that Jesus was in between these two thieves. And to one of those thieves, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of those thieves was united together in the likeness of Christ's death. How do we know that? Not because he was crucified and Jesus was crucified, not because they died the same physical death. We know they were united together in the likeness of Christ's death because Jesus told that thief, today you will be with me. To the other thief, he didn't say that. So the implication is, guess what? One thief was with Jesus, one thief was not with Jesus. All three of those men died that day. But two of those men died a death that led to life. So this is why we need to understand that the cross encompasses the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It encompasses our death, our burial, and our resurrection. Our death, our burial, and our resurrection is bound up in the cross. How? By grace. If you have been crucified with Christ, it's not because you just decided to make a decision to do that. If you are crucified with Christ, it's because God's grace even allowed you to desire that. If you're sitting here listening to my words and you're thinking, oh my gosh, man, I, I need to be I need to be crucified with Christ. I need to be willing to lay down my life. I realize how unwilling I am to let go of my life. Just that thought, I'm telling you, that thought process is not even from you. The fact that you can have that thought process is the grace of God. How do we know that? Because just three chapters prior in the book of Romans, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one, there are none, N-O-N-E, who seek after God. The very process, the conversation you're having in your heart and mind right now about, 
about you being willing to lay down your life, you recognizing that you are not your own, that you've been bought with the price, that comes from the grace of God. The cross is an instrument of death. We need to understand that. But it is also an instrument of our salvation. So let's look at four things found in this text in Romans 6 that our death with Christ has accomplished. The first is this, verse 5. Our death with Christ has united us together. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. We've been united together in the likeness of His death, and this means we also shall be united together in the likeness of His resurrection. This is death leading to life. If we're now crucified with Him, we are now raised with Him. Please understand this. When we talk about resurrection, it's not just something that's going to happen one day. If you are in Christ right now, if you have been crucified with Christ right now, you have been raised with Christ, you are raised with Christ right now. Our resurrection in Christ is an eternal reality now. So we have the certainty of a physical resurrection one day because of the reality that we are raised with Him right now in the Spirit. Our death with Christ unites us together with Christ. If you're not willing to identify with His death, if you're not willing to be united together in the likeness of His death, there is no way you will ever experience His resurrection life. The second thing is this, our death with Christ has crucified our old man. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If there is an old man, it stands to reason that there is a new man, right? So what's happened to the old man? He is crucified with Christ. What happens when you get crucified? you die, right? What happens when you die? You get put away. So verse 6, that knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the good news is that our old man is no more. The old man is dead. How did the old man become dead? By being crucified with Christ. And unless the old man is dead and gone, we cannot put on Christ. Turn to Galatians 3, verse 27. Now remember verse 3 of Romans 6. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into his death. Well, Paul writes it a little bit different in Galatians 3, verse 27. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that term, put on, is just like... You put on a garment. When you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. But something else happened too. You were baptized into his death. So at the same time you were baptized into his death, guess what? The old man was put away and Christ was put on. To put on Christ is to put on all of Christ. 
what, what, what is Paul referring to when he says, if you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ? We just want the resurrection part, right? Don't put me in a tomb. Don't bury me. Certainly don't crucify me. No, if we've put on Christ, we've put on his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have put on the fullness of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Amen? So our death with Christ has united us together in the likeness of his death. It's crucified our old man. Verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Our death with Christ has freed us from sin. How did it do that? Because we're dead. What sin does a dead man commit? Dead men don't commit sins. They're dead. Dead men don't do anything. They're dead. So when we're crucified with Christ, our old man was crucified. Our old man died. And in our death, we were made free from sin. It's not that we don't sin any longer, because we do. It's that sin no longer rules over us. So before you were crucified with Christ, before you were born again, it doesn't matter how good you try to be, your goodness is sin in the eyes of God. Why? Because you are sinful. By nature, you are sinful. Your old man is sinful. And it doesn't matter how good the old man behaves. The old man is sinful because that's who the old man is. So how do we get rid of sin? Not by teaching people how to behave better. That just gives them a false sense of security. The only way to get rid of sin is to get rid of the old man. Well, how do we get rid of the old man? Do we put him in an asylum? You know, do we just put him in the back room and don't tell people he's there? No, you kill him is what you do. How do you kill him? You crucify him. You crucify him with Christ. You put him away. And he is no more. Now we are freed from sin. Because the old man has been crucified. Sin no longer rules over us because the old man is no more. So if the old man is gone, then what do I have? What have I become? The Bible says I become a new man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what is the nature, the character of this new man? It is the nature and the character of Christ. So God, in His grace, has imputed to you the righteousness and the holiness of Christ Jesus. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That you might become the righteousness of God. Not because you've learned how to be perfectly righteous, but because God in His grace has accounted to you, has deposited in your account, has imputed to you His absolute holiness and righteousness. Where? Where does that take place? It takes place in Christ. How do I come to be in Christ? Well, the first thing I've got to do is be brought together, united together in the likeness of his death. 
And then he will raise me in the likeness of his life. And it is that life that he raises me in, new life, the life of Christ that is perfectly holy and righteous in the sight of the Father. In spite of the fact that we are still prone to live out of our old mind and give place to the sinful desires of our flesh. This is why it is by grace and by grace alone. It's why you will never, even if you think you can take any ounce of credit right now, one day when you stand before God, you will know, we will all know, we can take absolutely no credit for the righteousness that's been given to us in Christ. So through death, through the death of the cross, we have been freed from sin because sin no longer rules us. By grace, we are now slaves to God, verse 22 says, in the life of Christ Jesus. For we have been united together with Christ in his death and in his victory over sin. We have been freed from sin through the death of Christ. Our death with Christ has made us fruitful. It has united us together with Christ. It has crucified our old man. It has freed us from sin. And the fourth thing it's done, it has made us fruitful. Look at verse 22, Romans chapter 6. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. But now, having been set free from sin, how? By being crucified with him. You have your fruit. Our death with Christ has made us fruitful. Fruitfulness comes. Do you guys understand this? Gardeners, farmers, fruitfulness only comes through death. You do understand that, right? That seed that you plant in the ground will not produce life until it dies. Fruitfulness comes only through death. Jesus taught this truth in John 12, 24. Jesus, I quote the words of Jesus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much fruit. Try as you might to be fruitful. Try as you might to produce good works until you are crucified with Christ, united in his death and raised in his life. You have no fruit. You just have the illusion of fruit, but that's all it is, is an illusion. It's only when we are brought together and united in his death that we can truly be made fruitful. Until we die with Christ in the likeness of his death, we will never be fruitful. It is the grace of God that crucifies us and places us into his death. It is the grace of God that puts away our old man and allows us to put on Christ. It's the grace of God that gives us the desire and the willingness to crucify our flesh, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus daily. It is the grace of God that makes us slaves of God. It is the grace of God that makes us fruitful. Jesus came and died so that we could die, so that we could be united together in the likeness of his death, so that we could crucify our old man, so that we could be freed from sin, and so that we could have our fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. 
And these and all, capital A, capital L, capital L. These and all, and I mean all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the bitter, the sweet, all things are by and for and of his grace. All things. Death, freedom, fruitfulness, holiness, life, these are things that we cannot produce ourselves. They come from God. They come by grace working in our lives. They are gifts of grace given to us and made manifest in us by the powerful and the graceful work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Having his abundant life begins with our being placed into his death. Death is called the last enemy to be put away. Yet death is necessary for us to experience life. We must be united together in the likeness of his death to have any hope of experiencing his life in all of its fullness, in all of its abundance. Amen, church. Jesus came to die so that we too could die. Be united together with him, not just in his death, but in his life. For resurrection comes only as a result of death. Let's all stand. Jesus said, before a king goes out to war, he surveys his army and he sees whether he has what it takes to meet the force opposing him. He said, before a man builds a tower, he takes an inventory of the materials that he has to see whether he has what it takes to complete the work. I think there's two messages there when Jesus spoke those parables. I think one message is that we need to really carefully consider our lives. And so you may be here today, and I don't know whether you have ever been crucified with Christ or not. I don't know if the Holy Spirit has ever placed you into the death of Christ or not. But I would venture to say that the Spirit of God will reveal that to you. He will, whether you have or whether you have not. And so we need to take an inventory of our life. We need to consider our life. I think the second message, equally if not more important, is this, when we take an inventory of our life, when we get ready to do whatever it is we think we're going to do or go out and meet whatever force we think we're going to meet, I think, I think we need to understand that apart from God, apart from Christ, we have no hope. 
You can start your work all you want, but you'll never finish it apart from Christ. You can fight your battles as hard and as valiantly as you want, but apart from Christ, there is no hope of victory. And the message is this, all of us, saved, unsaved, young, old, rich, poor, all of us need Christ. If you don't know Christ today, you need Him. If you've never been saved, you need Christ's salvation. If you are saved, don't think that you don't need Christ. You need Christ and you need His grace every day of your life. So wherever you are, I would urge you to cry out to God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you know each one of us more intimately and in more detail than we know ourselves. You created us. You fashioned our days. You put us on this earth. You know every moment of every day that we will live and walk this planet. You know the very nanosecond that our soul will depart our bodies and leave this earthly plane. You know all. You know right where we are right now, God. The question is, do we know where we are? Do we know our true condition? And Father, I pray today that you would open our hearts and open our minds to the reality that we are a people in desperate need of you. Lord, that every moment of every day we desperately need your grace. And you are so good and you are so merciful and you are so loving that you pour your grace upon us every day. You pour grace upon the wicked and the righteous. You pour grace Lord, upon those that have come to love you and those that, Lord, still reject you. It rains on the just and the unjust, the Scripture declares. So we thank you for your grace, God. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Reveal the true condition of our hearts, God. Reveal the need, the desperate need that we have moment by moment of your grace. Reveal, God, that you are not withholding your grace. God, when we cry out from a heart of faith, Lord, grace is there. And it's there in abundance. For you resist the proud, but you give more grace to the humble. God, I pray that we would be a people who would humbly cry out to you. That we would be a people that would understand our need for your grace. Lord, thank you for coming and dying for us. Thank you for making it possible for us to also die, that we could be united together in the likeness of your death and so also in the likeness of your resurrection. Father, if there is one here today, any here today, who have questions or concerns, their hearts are troubled concerning these things, I pray, God, that first they would cry out to you and seek Lord, the love, the mercy, and the grace that is so able to save us. Lord, be glorified in your church, we pray, world without end.